Well, good morning once again. I um, understand that there was maybe some uh, concern that I wasn't going to be here this morning, um, but it turns out I was not crowned the King of England, so <laughs> a little salty about that, but here we are. I'm gl- I, I would rather be here anyway, I guess. Uh, Now, so Jesus has uh, been traveling uh, toward Jerusalem, and if you were here the last several weeks, you'd know that there's been kind of a theme of the things that he's said and done, Uh, namely that he's been kind of welcoming uh, or been involved with the wrong sorts of people, Uh, but then when he's been with the, quote, right sorts of people, the religious elite, he's been saying some inflammatory things. Things like, hey, when you throw a banquet or a party, invite the people on the margins. Invite the broken, the people who are not really part of us, the the down and out. Um, Don't assume that you are at the, uh, the, the honored position in the party when you go to sit at the table. Like a lot of what would come across as very strange things. And naturally, that would result in the wrong sorts of people suddenly being attracted to this guy, Jesus. Like, if you're on the margins for whatever reason, you're going to want to hit your wagon to this guy. And so, as the, the text opens up for today, it says that tax collectors and sinners are kind of finding themselves drawn to Jesus. We're going to come back to that in, in a minute. But this irritates the religious elite, um, the Pharisees, who were very pious, very heartfelt followers of God, and the scribes, who appear to be like the upper, upper echelon, the higher-ranking uh, Pharisees. Um, and so they're, they're a little irritated. Jesus is hanging out with the wrong sorts of people. And again, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so to explain what Jesus is doing, he tells a couple of stories. He tells three, actually. We only have two in our reading for the day. Uh, The third one is quite long. Um, The third one being the very famous parable of the prodigal son. But he tells these stories um, that there's, uh, that he, he says like, well, what if you're a shepherd and you have a flock and one of your idiot sheep goes wandering off because that's what sheep do. They are not smart. And are, are you just going to say, well, that's a bummer? No. You're going to go after and find him. You're going to search for him. And when you find this idiot sheep, you're going to grab him. You're going to bring him back to the flock. You're going to call whoever is around you, your friends, and you're going to say, yes, I found him. And then he says, well, what if a woman has 10 silver coins? Now, economy back then was, was pretty much goods-based. It was not, generally speaking, liquid. Uh, this would actually, or some commentators anyway think, and, and I think I agree, that this would be like her dowry, her bride price. Um, These coins have a great amount of significance. It's not really about the money. It's about her worth. 
and a coin gets lost. She says, or uh, Jesus says, like, isn't she going to get a lamp? She's going to clean the place out. She is going to find that coin because it's so important. And it's not about the money. It's about the significance. And uh, she, when she finally finds it, she's going to go to her friends and say, yes, oh, I found it. I mean, have you ever lost something and you cannot find it and it's driving you crazy and then you find it? You text all your friends going, ah, I found it. And then Jesus goes on and tells like the big story uh, where a, a man has two sons and his younger son really dishonors his father and says and demands his inheritance early, which is weird. And then he takes it and goes off and squanders it in a foreign land. And then there's a famine and he's starving and he ends up feeding pigs. And that's really dishonorable if you're Jewish. And then he decides, all right, I'm going to go crawling back to my dad and just I don't know, work as a hired hand or a servant or something. And then his dad welcomes him back. And his dad throws a party. And his older brother is, uh, he's out in the field, he doesn't hear about it, and like, wait, they're having a party for my idiot brother? And he's upset. And his father goes like, why wouldn't I celebrate? And then the parable ends, and it sort of leaves you hanging, and you're wondering, well, how does he respond? Now, all of those things take all of that and funnel it back into these elite religious people who are upset that Jesus is hanging out with the wrong sorts of people. It leaves this question open of, okay, the kingdom of God is here. God is reaching out to the wrong sorts of people. What are you going to do? Now, I... I, 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 the, these parables have a lot to say to a, a huge portion of what it means to follow God. Um, we tend to think um, this is not just a modern thing. This goes back a ways. Uh, we tend to think that, that as we are living our lives trying to follow God, it's like climbing a ladder. God is sort of beyond us. And so it's kind of up to us to ascend the rungs of that ladder. And Jesus gives us plenty to do. He, he instructs us to care for the poor, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, bring freedom to the oppressed. Um, there are large numbers of things that we as followers of God do not do, or ideally anyway, do not do. Uh, God expects certain things out of our behavior. And it's common to talk about that as like working our way to be close with God, to become closer with God. And then we can add on things like uh, praying, living a life of prayer, reading the scriptures, coming together in worship every Sunday, and, and, and learning to follow God and being with God's people, basically living holy lives. And there's a danger in that. Because that, that usually will set us down a path that ends up in one of two places. The first place is 
you feel like you get there. You have this sense that I have done well. I have followed God. I have followed his commandments. I have served those in need. I have said my prayers. I know my Bible backwards and forwards. And everybody knows exactly where I sit in church because I'm there so much. There are grooves in the seat that fit me perfectly. Uh, If you find yourself kind of there, there's inordinate danger. Because you feel like you've done enough. And it's easy if you're in that situation to become, frankly, insufferable, judgmental. It becomes easy to look down on those who are less religious, who do not do the things that you do. Oh, you were playing golf on Saturday? Well, I was at the mission feeding the poor, but how was your game? (laughs) Um, To look down on those who struggle. Oh, they're caught up in addiction. Well, I never touched the stuff. Okay, give me a break. You don't know their story. It's easy if you think that you're enough to look down on those you perceive as not being enough. And then there's an extra step in that danger, and I think this is a little more common because it's not quite as obvious. If you feel like you've arrived, you are close with God, you have followed God's commandments, said your prayers, been to church a million times, well, if there are some real mistakes in your life, Horrors that are hidden deep within your heart, your thought life, your actions when nobody's looking are um, less than stellar. Well, now you have a reason to hide them. You realize, well, I, I've got to be enough. I've, I, I've got to be like this really, really quality follower of, of God. I can't let anybody know that I'm struggling Um, to the point where it becomes hard to even admit to yourself that that, that something has gone terribly wrong. And honestly, any pastor, therapist, anybody in in some kind of those professions will tell you that's the danger zone. (laughs) The other path, aside from, you know, feeling like you have made it, you are enough to offer God. Uh, the, the other side is that you try and you struggle and it's hard to follow these rules and you have these impulses and compulsions and, and, and you, you look at yourself and you see nothing but failure, mistakes, and sin. And you just despair. You, you, this, is, this is kind of the rock bottom and then further down because our capacity to endure suffering is pretty limitless as human beings. Where you look and you realize, I am not enough. I can't do what they do over there. 
I don't have the impulse control. I don't have uh, that kind of steadfastness or the discipline to do that. Where you look at yourself and you, you can, all, all you really see are just the times that you didn't pray, the times that you missed church, the, time, the, the people that you didn't serve, the mistakes you've made, the things that you've caught up in that started as habits and grew to these things where you, you feel like they're just controlling you. And you realize, I'm never enough, I'm never going to be enough, whatever, I'm out of here, I give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. Those are kind of the two paths available to you. If your goal is to follow God as, as closely as you can, to be enough for God, to effectively climb that ladder and be close with God, in other words, neither of those ways work. And these parables, rather than being about like figuring it out and being enough for God, because enough is a very dangerous, poisonous word when we're talking about a life of faith, that as it turns out, being close with God is not about climbing a ladder at all. Think about what those parables are saying. The shepherd hunts his idiot sheep down. The woman searches desperately for her coin. The father bolts after his younger son. There is no ladder. The story of God as told through Jesus, is not about finding and being close with God and being enough. It's about God hunting us down and grabbing us, his idiot sheep, and then throwing a party. That when we find ourselves living a life of faith, which is a good thing, the word enough, am I good enough, have I done enough, have I served enough, have I read enough, have I prayed enough, have I worshipped enough, should not be in our vocabulary. Because that is not the story that Jesus is telling. Now go back to that, that beginning uh, part where these tax collectors and these sinners. I, I've been kind of mulling over that, that phrase a bit. Um, it doesn't mean, first off, and I hope this is obvious, that God hates IRS agents or something like that. Um, you see, I, well, at the time of the Bible, we're in the Roman era, but before that was the Greeks, you know, a couple hundred years before Jesus. And as the Greeks came in um, and conquered the area, they realized, like, they need to extract taxes, and this is common for empires, from the people they've conquered. And this is not to pay for in infrastructure. This all gets funneled back to the seat of the empire, because why have colonies unless you can make a ton of money off of them? And so they would do this via taxes. Taxes were all about oppression. 
And it became obvious that if they sent their own kind of Greek overseers, that the indigenous people would, I don't know, hide what they really have, hide what they really harvested, that kind of thing. In other words, they wouldn't get everything that they demand. So the Greeks invented it, the Romans, frankly, perfected it. Um, the role of, I, I prefer to say, indigenous tax farmer. Infiltrate the community, find a collaborator, a trader, really, who knows the area, knows the people, knows what they're harvesting, and can extract every ounce of grain and barley that they have ever harvested. These tax collectors or indigenous tax farmers collaborate with the enemy, with the oppressive occupation force, basically. Rip their own people off, line their pockets extraordinarily well. These are not good people, like in any stretch of the imagination. And not like in the sense of, oh, well, they've made the mistake. No, 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 no. <laughs> these, are, these are the kind of people you'd be pretty uncomfortable to have around. And that designation sinners um, does not mean uh, people who like ate bacon and shellfish or something like that, who are like, well, I don't like that particular command of God or uh, part of Torah, so I'm just going to ignore it. These are people who by choice and by lifestyle have legitimately separated themselves from the community of God's people. These are the thieves, the, shall we say, women of ill repute, the people who are deeply untrustworthy or deeply maybe violent towards the wrong people. These are, these are the people who are dangerous who again, we would be probably pretty uncomfortable being in close proximity. They're the people who are now surrounding Jesus. These are the people with very serious pasts. And at this point in the story, probably pretty serious presence as well. They're the ones who are suddenly attracted to this teacher from Nazareth. They're the ones that this teacher of Nazareth actually seems to be hunting down, proclaiming freedom, the forgiveness of sins, the end of exile to. These are the people who could never ever, ever be enough and have long since stopped trying. In other words, these are the people that are a lot more like us, probably more so than we would want to think. Because the, the insufferable religious bigots who are convinced that they are enough and therefore are either hiding the darkest parts of themselves or foisting their issues on everybody else, and the people who have long since given up, like, there's actually the same category. 
And that's the category we find ourselves in. Congratulations. You are not enough to earn God's favor. I don't care how good you are. You're not that good. I'm not that good. Nobody's that good. Because that's why God sent Jesus to hunt us down. And rather than come and just give us a new set of rules that we're either going to convince ourselves we can follow or go, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. He brings us to the table of God through his own blood, through his own like conquering of death, which becomes our story as well. But as Jesus uses over and over this, this story of a banquet, and he says, bring the wrong sorts of people, the people you're uncomfortable with, the people who are, are obviously not enough, who are hiding the darkest parts of their hearts, or who are just obnoxiously convinced that they're enough, bring those to the table. Because those are the ones I'm looking for. So Congratulations. In Jesus, you have a seat at God's table. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able.